to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Moore, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, March 17, 2019, on the basis of Luke 13, verses 31 through 35. Is there anything left in our world that can cause people to come together and set aside their differences? Some people have observed that our world could use a few more things like that because the list seems to be getting shorter and shorter. For example, Football can be one of those things that brings people together, and yet because of controversies, especially in the NFL in recent years, at a certain point it seems as though what really matters is not so much whether you happen to cheer for the Packers or cheer for the Bears, but what you feel about players kneeling for the national anthem. Take movies, for example. Movies can bring people together. Hollywood with its bright lights and red carpets and big stars. And yet, because award shows like the Emmys and the Oscars have recently become so politically charged, a lot of people just sort of get turned off, and so they tune out. Or take, for example, holidays. Christmas, especially as a holiday, can bring people together, and yet now it seems as though we go through this annual ritual of debating what's the proper way to greet someone during the month of December, and whether the Christmas cup at Starbucks really is, in fact, Christmassy enough. (laughs) Or take tragedies, for example. Tragedies bring people together to set aside their differences, to express sympathy, and to mourn with those who mourn. And yet, as we saw this week with the horrible events that happened down in New Zealand, the amount of time that a tragedy can remain a tragedy, and we can all just mourn together before we get back to the political conversation about what caused that tragedy, well, it lasts for about half a second, doesn't it? The list seems to be getting shorter and shorter and shorter, and yet, at the very least, we have today. You know what I'm talking about, right? St. Patrick's Day? I'm not aware of any political controversies that go along with St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day is at the very least a day where we can all get together. We can eat a little bit of corned beef. We can maybe enjoy a pint of Guinness. It's a day where we can actually wear green, and that doesn't in any way reflect our opinion about climate change. St. Patrick's Day is maybe still one day that's, that's safe. At least we have that. Actually, there is something very important that we need to talk about today that has an even greater effect of bringing people together. It's a way of looking at life. It's an approach to life that is so common and so universally shared that it actually occurs and comes up in all three of the readings that we heard today. In other words, this is a, a principle that people operated with in Jeremiah's day, 600 years before Jesus. It's a principle that people operated with in Jesus' day, and it's a principle that people still operate with today. In fact, as we'll see in just a second, it's a principle that can cause people who are normally enemies to set aside their differences and come together. In fact, it's even a principle we see out in nature. Things like heat and water and electricity all work this way. And that principle is simply this, that the path of least resistance is the preferred path to take. Like I said, that that principle is so common and so universal that we'll once again be reminded today that as Jesus actually goes to battle against that principle and that way of life, he's going to do so alone. This is a battle that is going to take place not as a, a team effort, not as a group project. Instead, Jesus is going to approach and and go to battle against that approach to life all by himself, head to head. In fact, that's what we see going on in these verses from Luke chapter 13. We see everyone operating by that one principle that the path of least resistance is the path of choice, everyone except Jesus. In fact, what we'll see is that Jesus resists. 
the path of least resistance. So how common is that principle and that way of life, that the path of least resistance is the preferred path to take? Well, Luke starts out these verses by telling us that the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, came to Jesus with what seems like a helpful tip. They said to Jesus, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. So at this point in his ministry, it's, it's nearing the end of Jesus' ministry, but he's still sort of in the northern part of Israel, up in the territory that Herod rules over. And so these Pharisees come to Jesus, people who are normally enemies of Jesus, and they seem to offer this helpful advice. Now, people actually disagree about what the Pharisees' intentions are here. Are they really being helpful, or are they trying to set a trap? Do they really mean this sincerely, or do they have some alternative motive But the reality is that it doesn't really matter. Because at the end of the day, their advice is based on this assumption, this principle, that the path of least resistance is the path of choice. And so Jesus, you could could stay here if you wanted to, and you could be killed. Or you could go somewhere else, and you could, you know, not be killed. So, like, which one is it going to be, Jesus? The choice seems obvious, right? In fact, you know what this reminds me of? There was something that happened this week in our United States House of Representatives that has got to be a rare occasion. There was a motion that was passed, a resolution that was passed by a vote of 420 to nothing. Can you believe that in 2019? They found something that Democrats and Republicans all agree upon. The resolution was simply that when the Mueller investigation wraps up, that its findings be made public so that everyone can see. So after two years of wondering about Russian collusion and election interference. One thing that everyone agrees upon is that we all have a right to know the answers. We all have a right to find out what they found. Everyone agrees. Same thing that's going on here. The path of least resistance is the path of choice. Who wouldn't agree with that? Well, Jesus. In response to this seemingly helpful advice, Jesus responds by saying, you know what? I'm just going to keep doing what I'm here to do. I'm going to keep healing the sick. I'm going to keep driving out demons. I'm going to keep carrying out my goal, my purpose. And if that happens not to be the path of least resistance, well, then so be it. In fact, Jesus says, you know what? I I am going to be traveling. I am going to be moving soon. I'm going to be traveling down to Jerusalem. But not because that's the path of least resistance, not because I want to avoid Herod up here in the north. In fact, Jerusalem is the very place where I know that I will suffer and die. Jesus resisted the path of least resistance. Jesus followed his path all the way to the end, all the way to his death on the cross. So is it safe to say that Jesus is the only one who would have answered this way and made this choice? By the way, I realize fully that we all know that the path of least resistance isn't always the path of choice. In fact, Even that phrase, the the path of least resistance or the easy way out, seems to have a a negative connotation in our world, right? I mean, we know and we put into practice that success in certain areas of life requires sacrifice and hard work, and, and we're willing to do it when it's to achieve a very specific goal. And that's actually kind of the point. You see, it's very easy for us, right along with the entire world around us, to assume that things like comfort and ease 
things like safety and security, things like love and respect and popularity among others, that those are the goals that we should be pursuing in life. And so the path that we are going to take is the easiest and the fastest route in order to achieve those goals. But God would have us know that just as it was the case with Jesus, so also it's the case with us, that our purpose in life, our goals in life are far, far different. Our purpose is to love God above all things, to obey his commands, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so what that means is that rather than simply doing whatever it is that happens to make us happy, our path will often include the very difficult and very painful struggle against our sinful desires. Rather than simply doing whatever it is that can earn us the most respect and admiration with, other, with, with others, our path calls for us to speak up for the truth, to share our faith rather than remaining silent. And so our path might include some funny looks, some getting left out, maybe even some ridicule. Rather than our path being one where we get to employ every single resource and every single dollar we make in service to more fun and more stuff for ourselves, God calls us to tear our, ourselves away from that love of money, from that materialism and greed. And so our path includes using those resources in service to others. Is it fair to say that Jesus is the only one who would have made this choice, the choice not to make the path of least resistance the path that he chooses? The reality is that you and I are faced with that very same choice that Jesus was faced in our own lives too to determine what is our real goal and what are we willing to sacrifice and give up as a result of that goal. Jesus resisted the path of least resistance and he needed to do that all by himself. He needed to go battle, to battle with that principle head to head because, because none of us could and none of us would. And in a way that makes it all the more remarkable why Jesus was willing to do it. I don't know if you noticed it, but there's a very sudden and dramatic pivot in these verses, you might say. On the one hand, and in the opening part of these verses, Jesus expresses this very stubborn, very defiant, very determined attitude that he is going to travel the path, that he has come to travel the path that leads to Jerusalem. But then it's almost as if the second he mentions that city of Jerusalem, he is filled with this very warm, very tender, very emotion-filled lament for that city. He says... O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So Jesus came to go head to head with this principle that the path of least resistance is the path of choice. And he did so, why? In order to save all of the people who were stuck on that path. Not to destroy them, but to save them. And to save them, not from, from rescuing them from a path that includes any sort of danger or any sort of difficulty, but instead to shield them as they traveled that path. To put his arm around them as a mother hen covers up her chicks with her wings. To endure all of that pain and all of that suffering so that after they, they've gotten to the end of their path, they can make it safely out on the other side. Friends, Jesus resisted the path of least resistance, not for his own sake. He died on the cross not simply to die. He died to save us. He died so that when we get to the end of our path, 
All of those sins that we committed aren't waiting for us to be held against us. He died and rose from the dead so that after our path leads to our grave, we know that there is a way out on the other side to enjoy the life that he has prepared for us. Things like comfort and ease and safety and security and love and acceptance and companionship, Jesus wants us to have those things too, except he wants us to have them far greater and for far longer than this world could possibly ever offer us. And so he came to save us, not by taking us off a path of of any difficulty or challenge, but to shield us as we travel that path so that when we get to the end, we make it safely and securely to our heavenly home. You know, this difference between the commonly held assumption that so many in our world would have and and this counterintuitive way of life that Jesus advocates really made an impression on me this week in a very specific way. As I mentioned before, and as I'm sure you've heard, there were these horrific events down in New Zealand at a couple of different mosques. A gunman opened fire, and a bunch of people, 50 or more, were killed. What an awful, awful thing. And as is often the case, there are some people who responded to that event by saying that their thoughts and their prayers were with the people who were suffering as a result of this tragedy. And as is often the case, there were people who then in response said that thoughts and prayers aren't good enough and what we really need are more gun control laws. Now what made an impression on me was not so much that people have different opinions about gun control laws or different opinions about prayers, but really there is a shared assumption behind both of those things in a lot of different cases. And the assumption is this, That whatever means we have at our disposal, whatever power that we have, whether that power is prayer or legislation, we should use that power in order to make this life, to make our path through this life as safe and secure as it possibly can be. In other words, that we would use those things to try and prevent things like this from ever happening again. And whatever can make that happen, prayer, more laws, let's do it. Now, I can't speak for everyone who would say that their thoughts and prayers are with people who have gone through a horrific tragedy. But as I think about offering my thoughts and prayers in situations like this, it's not primarily to ask that God would never allow things like this to happen again. In fact, I started thinking about all of the different prayers that we've said here as a group of Christians gathered in this place. And off the top of my head, there was not one example that came to mind where we have asked God that mass shootings would not take place, and especially in houses of worship like this. Now, that's not to say that that would be a bad prayer. By no means, that would be a wonderful prayer. But I don't hesitate for a second to say that we have bigger prayers to pray. Not that this life would be full of safety and security, not that our path through life would be the path of least resistance, but that as we go through life and face all of the horrible things that are going on all around us, that we would stay and we would remain, and so would other people, exactly where Jesus wants us to be. Right by his side, shielded under the shelter of his wing. That whatever dangers may befall us, that we would make it all the way to that end, the end of that path with Jesus so that we would know and we would be certain that no matter what might happen, life eternal is waiting on the other side. Those are the prayers that we more often pray. And that was actually the prayer that St. Patrick prayed. It's kind of a shame that St. Patrick is most commonly associated with a a bunch of partying and revelry come the middle of March because he actually was a very important Christian missionary and there's much that happened in his life that we can be very thankful for. 
At the young age of 16, Patrick, who grew up in England, was kidnapped and taken into slavery in neighboring Ireland. Ireland, which at that time had no experience with Christianity. Christianity hadn't been brought to Ireland. The people were still living under polytheism, polytheism worshiping all kinds of false gods. Patrick lived there in slavery in Ireland for six years before he finally escaped, went back to England, and there he continued to study Christianity and, and eventually became a pastor. Well, then Patrick decided, of all things that he could do with the rest of his life, that he was actually going to go back to Ireland and bring Christianity to that island and to those people. Even though he knew that nothing but danger was awaiting him, even though he knew that nothing but opposition was awaiting him, it certainly was not the path of least resistance. And as he did, Patrick composed this somewhat famous prayer. I'm going to show you a few words in just a second, and you might even recognize them. It's a prayer not that God would take us off of the path that includes any sort of danger, but it's a prayer that God would protect us as we travel that path. Here are some of the words. He said, Christ before me, Christ behind me. Christ in me, Christ beneath me. Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left. Christ where I lie, Christ where I sit, Christ where I arise. As you can see, the imagery for that prayer, in fact, the, the title for that prayer is this imagery of a, of a breastplate, a solid, sturdy, indestructible piece of metal that surrounds your vital organs on all sides and keeps you safe, right? We could just as easily use the imagery that Jesus uses in these verses. It's like a wing of a mother hen being put over her chicks, completely surrounding them and keeping them safe. And friends, that's the life that our Savior Jesus calls us into and the path that he calls us to follow. Not one where we can expect nothing bad to happen to us, but one where we can know with full confidence that he is with us, he is protecting us, he is keeping us safe, even as that path leads all the way to the grave, because we know that there's a way out on the other side. Life with Jesus will not always be the path of least resistance. But friends, rest assured that life with Jesus is the safest place to be. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.